Before we start this episode of Conversations with Kenyatta, I'm excited to tell you about my new partnership with Audible. Listeners can go to www.audibletrial.com backslash Kenyatta to receive a free 30-day trial. Audible is a wonderful resource with audiobooks for every reader. It even has titles from authors that have been on my podcast, such as Dr. Dan Bouts' Democracy's Data and Gail Lukasik's White Like Her. And please note that this is an affiliate link. So I may receive a commission with no cost to you, just a fee trial with so many wonderful titles. And I love to read. But with that, here's this week's episode of Conversations with Kenyatta. Welcome to episode 23 of Conversations with Kenyatta. I cannot believe it's been over a year since I launched my podcast. And thank you guys so much for listening and supporting me this past year. And this year, I'd like to introduce a new segment. We're going to call it Catching Up with Kenyatta. And this segment really lets you know what I'm working on, behind the scenes, my research, and a little bit about my family and what's important to me in genealogy. So let's get started. So what does it mean to be Black and a genealogist? This is a complex question because genealogy, as we know, is something that requires you to do investigative work and you really enjoy uncovering things about your family history. But when you're Black and a genealogist, you have to prepare yourself for that trauma and those discoveries of slavery if your family was enslaved. So it's difficult sometimes to actually see a document that has the value of your ancestor. So that means a will, probate record, an inventory, or an appraisement, or even a bill of sale that has your ancestor's name with a value attached to them. So being Black and a genealogist means coming to terms with that in a way that those who are not descended from enslaved don't understand. And how do you come to terms with it? One of the things I do is I try to put it in historical context. That at that time, this was something that was part of the fabric of America. And it's part of American history. So what I'm doing in doing this research is bringing my ancestors, the ancestors of my clients and others, out of the shadows of slavery and being able to tell their story. So to me... That's what it means to be Black and being a genealogist. You get to tell those stories that may not have been heard from people who were valued um, as property and treated inhumanely. And so how do I bring this aspect to my genealogy work? Well, I decided very early on that while I was in law school, that I would actually focus on enslaved genealogy because it is the most complex It is the most heartbreaking, in my opinion. There are definitely other aspects of genealogy where you have traumatic events. But for me, as a Black genealogist, someone descended descended from the enslaved, I bring this type of research to my entire genealogy plan, practice, or toolkit, whatever you want to call it, um, because it's necessary. And it's necessary for me to connect to my ancestors. It's necessary for me to understand their resilience and how they survived. 
And in other podcasts, if you listen to one that I did uh, last year, I talked a lot about resilience. But that resilience comes from these ancestors that I uncover. So in my genealogy research and being Black as a genealogist, it's understanding slavery. It's bringing that resilience from my ancestors and really telling their story to make sure they're not forgotten. So you might ask yourself, this is heartbreaking. This is traumatic. Why should I be looking for my enslaved ancestors? One, because it is a part of who you are. It is the fabric, the makeup, the the kind of the DNA of you. And if you don't look for your enslaved ancestors, then you're missing, I think, a piece of who you are. You're missing a piece of your ancestry. You're kind of doing what American history has done, and you're not allowing them to come out of those shadows. While it may be traumatic, I'm not discounting that at all. It's going to be difficult, but it's so important. Because if we don't talk about slavery, we don't talk about our enslaved ancestors, then those individuals are forgotten. And that's what we don't want. So as you go on your genealogy journey and do your research as it relates to your enslaved ancestors, understand this, that they survived all of that, the Middle Passage, slavery, even Jim Crow just so you could sit wherever you are in your home, in the library or whatever to research them. So it's important to celebrate them, celebrate their survival by making them a part of your genealogy journey. One of the areas that I'm fascinated by and I do a lot of research in is the domestic slave trade. And so how does this really fit into your genealogy journey? The domestic slave trade involved, the numbers vary between 900,000 to almost a million enslaved individuals, men, women, and children, that were forcibly migrated from the upper south to the lower south. So what does that mean, the upper south to the lower south? The upper south we think of as Virginia, the Carolinas, Maryland, and the lower south, uh, Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. That forcible migration occurred sometimes via coffles, and those were enslaved individuals that were shackled together and forced to walk from Virginia, Virginia to Tennessee or to some other location. Some of that forced migration occurred via ship. Now, some of the major slave markets are Alexandria, Virginia, and we'll get into that in a bit, Um, Baltimore, Maryland, Mobile, Alabama, New Orleans, Norfolk, and Richmond. Those are just some of the markets, major kind of slave markets. When you think of the domestic slave trade and you think of slavery in general, and this is where I think it becomes so difficult and traumatic sometimes is because slavery was a business. It was all about economics. And part of that business were speculators and slave traders. And so the speculators were often looking to expand West. And West, we're thinking of more or less like Mississippi area, right? And when you had sort of the opening up of that area, when you, with the removal of the American Indians that were forced west 
on the Trail of Tears. And then you also had uh, individuals that were purchasing land with the opening up of the West and then forcibly migrating their enslaved to clear that land so they could plant cotton or whatever their crop was. And so in the 1830s, we see many states such as Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Mississippi trying to control the slave trade. And what do I mean by that? When doing your research, I've said this before, it's really important for you to actually look at the laws of the state. So part of that is understanding they didn't want the enslaved that were previously convicted of a crime or enslaved that did that had uh, whose character wasn't moral to be part to be imported into their states. So there were slave laws around that. You may say to yourself, Kenyatta, this is a lot of information related to the domestic slave trade. Why is this so important to my research? I'm just looking for my people. It's around names, dates, and places. And the reason this is important is because you need to understand the context, the historical context in which your ancestors lived. And when you think about it, if you're researching a family member and you notice in 1870, they're born in Mississippi, right? Or they're residing in Mississippi. But in 1880, let's say their parents were born in South Carolina or born in Virginia. Then they might have been forcibly migrated to that area. So you need to understand the domestic slave trade to understand how to research going be, finding their parents and their other relatives. And I mentioned Virginia. I always say that all roads lead to Virginia in genealogy. And that's where my family is from, Central Virginia. One of the major and most famous slave trading firms was Franklin and Armerfeld in Alexandria, Virginia. Now, with this firm, they actually need a lot of money in taking the enslaved from the Upper South to the Lower South. A lot of their transactions were recorded in notorial records um, in New Orleans. And there has been a book that's recently published last year, if you're interested, that's very helpful in this area. And that book is The Ledger and the Chain by Dr. Joshua Rothman. In this book, you will understand more about the actual slave trading firm, about the domestic slave trade, and understand where he got those records and how he did his research. This can be useful for you. And again, finding your ancestors that might have been forcibly migrated. This particular research not only applies to those who are descended from the enslaved, but also enslavers. And this gets to the question I get, one of the questions I get all the time, and a question when we were, when we were in person, I would get a line that would form after most of my presentations asking me, what do they do if they find out that their ancestor was an enslaver? There's various emotions that come with this. Some folks have felt emotion of shame. Others have records they discovered on their genealogical journey, and they're trying to figure out, what do I do with this information? How do I share this information, right? Because what we're doing in doing this research is reuniting families that have been torn apart by slavery, such as the domestic slave trade. And reuniting those families means that those that are descendants of the enslaved and those that are descendants of the enslaver really need to work together and share documentation. 
one place where you can share information that you discover while researching your family, if they were enslavers, is the website called Beyond Ken. Now, Beyond Ken uses methodology based on trees on ancestry.com, but it's also a community where that brings together descendants of the enslaved and descendants of the enslavers. So I highly recommend that you take a look at it. Other ways in which you can share this information is with your local genealogical societies, historical societies, as well as some of your uh, state archives, if they accept this type of information. There are also several Facebook groups for different areas where you can share information and documents as it relates to the enslavers and the enslaved that might have been on that plantation. This leads to the question, why is it important for you to understand, to share this information as it relates to slavery if your family wasn't enslaved, if you're not African-American? And it's important for genealogists to understand this because it gets you beyond your comfort zone. And what I mean by that is if you've been primarily doing European research um, and you don't necessarily have any direct ancestors or anyone in your tree that's of African descent or African-American, then you don't necessarily kind of go to those courses or institutes or anything like that. However, I would strongly suggest you do for a couple of reasons. First, we just talked about if your ancestor was an enslaver. And if you want to help beyond going to the website Beyond Kin, But if you want to find the descendants of the enslaved on your ancestor's plantation, how do you do that? One way is to attend a course, a webinar, or anything about researching African-Americans in your community or researching enslaved African-Americans. Another reason to actually attend courses, webinars, talks, whatever, or read articles and blog posts about African-American genealogy and enslaved genealogy is that it'll teach you a different methodology, something that you might be able to use in your own research that's not related to African-American or enslaved genealogy. But I think it also helps you kind of understand if this is not an area you're familiar with, the challenges that we face as genealogists who are descendant from those who are enslaved. It'll give you a broader perspective, more of a perspective of how we have to, you know, pick through certain documents, you know, find that needle in the haystack and hope that Martha on in this will is actually our Martha, you know, that this little Jane is our Jane. And how we navigate the paper trail or try to at least find the paper trail that leads us to our ancestors. So I think that's beneficial for all genealogists because one of the things I will continue to point out is that Black history, African-American history, enslaved history is all American history. Slavery was part and is part of the story of America. American history to society and to our culture overall. Even if you have some biases, things that you might have been taught growing up by studying African-American history and Black history throughout the year, those might change. But you also get to learn some things about the climate. You get to understand what was going on during Reconstruction or Jim Crow. 
And perhaps you might even find an article or two, a memoir or something that may actually describe the experience of an African-American during that time period. And the most important piece of this is that every aspect of Black history also involves someone who wasn't Black. Even when you think of the Freedmen's Bureau records, those are records related to the South. That collection includes records about people that are not Black, that were not the formerly enslaved. They're records related to the officers that were in charge the folks that were managing the field offices at the Freedmen's Bureau. So those records can also provide you a perspective that's not just a Black perspective. But most importantly, you will also learn more about the Constitution, about the Reconstruction Amendments of the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. And you'll get to understand a little bit more about Jim Crow, I don't know about you, but I feel like with genealogy, we spend so much time studying the past, right? So we're kind of, we're knee deep in looking for dead people and cemetery records and all of this, that sometimes we don't spend as much time studying things that are more recent, such as Jim Crow. So I think it's very interesting to kind of take a look at that time period and understand the rights, the civil rights battle, and what folks are fighting for and have been fighting for since emancipation. So I hope you've been inspired to step outside your comfort zone as a genealogist, to research your enslaved ancestors, even though the findings might be traumatic and you might uncover some things you weren't ready for, and that you learn something about the domestic slave trade to help you as you continue on your genealogy journey. Now, let's dig into what are my plans for genealogy research. Unfortunately, I do not get to research my family as much as I would like, really at all. So one of my things for 2022 is to make my genealogy research a priority, to make my family a priority. I want to share more of my family's story through articles, uh, different posts, maybe on social media, um, as well as in my second book that I'm writing right now. I've shared my family story over the years uh, in my first book, The Family Tree Toolkit, and in other different magazines as it relates to the areas uh, where they lived in Virginia and in upstate New York. But I want to do more of that this year, and I really want to focus on my brick walls. And yes, I have brick walls too. And if anyone's listening out there that's uh, from Charlottesville, at somehow, some point, some way, I'm related to the Sellers family. I still haven't figured it out. I know they're very famous there, uh, well-known. So please drop me an email or a line at kenyataberry.com because that, my Sellers line, is one of the lines I'm going to focus on because I don't know a lot about them. And that's on my mom's side, but I am going to focus on my dad's side of the family. My dad's surname was Jones, so not Barry, but I am going to focus on his family in Arkansas, El Dorado area, and also in Union Parish, Louisiana. So if you have any Jones, Meeks, Murphys, let me know. We might be related. 
So those are going to be my goals for 2022 for genealogy research, really making my family a priority because I am, I can preach to you and tell you to tell your family story, but I need to do the same. And oftentimes I remind myself of that. So together, let's do this. Let's create a timeline for our brick wall ancestor. And what do I mean by a timeline? Take what you know now. And I'll say for my guy, James Philip Sellers, my third great-grandfather. I know he was born in Abermar County around, I believe it's like 1840s. And I know that he got married in 1867 in Madison County. And I know from his marriage record, his father's name was Philip Green and his mother, or sorry, his father's name was Philip Sellers. And his mother's name was Delilah Green. So his father was Philip Sellers. His mother was Delilah Green. That's all I know about them. I don't have a birth date. I don't have any information, a death date. I don't have a census record. So I'm going to create a timeline of James, James Philip Sellers, of everything that I know about him, from his estimated birth year all the way to his date of death in upstate New York. Then what we're going to do together, hopefully you're doing the same, is we're going to fill in these gaps. And the way to do that is think of what record set can help me. So I've already mentioned some things that I need to understand about James, his birth date, and more about his parents. But given he was born enslaved and they were probably enslaved, I'm going to have to take a different approach to try to find that birth information because his birth date was not provided on his death certificate. They didn't know his actual birth date. So we're going to look for records to help us fill in these gaps. And in doing this timeline for our brick walls, you could have many. You could have one, two, five, 10, or 20 brick walls. And it could be overwhelming. But I think together, we should make it a priority to tackle one brick wall from our maternal side of the family and one for our paternal side of the family. So I'm going to take my brick wall with James Philip Sellers on my mom's side and on my dad's side. I think I'm going to do Locke. And that's Nathaniel Lockhart Hawthorne Jones. So Locke. I think those are going to be my two for 2022 and to tackle those brick walls. And as we talk more with the sort of catching up with Kenyatta, I will be able to provide you an update on my progress. And I want you to do the same. Let me know how you're progressing and moving along with your brick walls in 2022. So thank you so much for catching up with me. Conversations with Kenyatta is produced by Kenyatta D. Berry and Caitlin Owl and features Kenyatta D. Berry. The music for this episode was Good Vibe by Ketza. Follow Kenyatta on Instagram under the handle kenyatta.berry, on Facebook at facebook.com slash kenyattadb, and on Twitter at kenyattadb. You can also find more information on her book and upcoming events on her website at kenyattaberry.com.